I thought this was an interesting stat I saw today. Russia is now the world's most sanctioned country, surpassing Iran, Syria, even North Korea, according to something called the Sanctions Tracking Database. But there is one area where Ukraine is still pushing hard, pushing allies hard to crack down on Russia. And that is for the U.S. and the European Union to cut off imports of Russian oil and gas, saying, quote, Russian oil smells of Ukrainian blood. Now, Canada, you may remember, went ahead with a ban recently, but we hardly, well, we don't import anything. It was negligible anyway. The impact on the U.S. would be somewhat worse. 8% of their energy comes from Russia. The EU in particular, the impact there would be far more profound. And today, Russia was threatening to cut off energy supplies to Europe through Nord Stream 1 that runs through Ukraine, actually. Well, the prime minister addressed the issue of helping Europe get off its Russia energy dependency today while in London. What Vladimir Putin has broken here is a trust where I've heard a number of Europeans reflect on it's too bad that we are so dependent on Russian oil, but we're not going to make that mistake again. And they are moving away from it. Canada imports negligible amounts of uh, Russian petrochemicals and oil. We've banned that. But we are, of course, self-sustainable in terms of oil. Well, the European Union apparently is working on a plan to cut reliance on Russian gas by up to 80% this year. That sounds like a huge number. We'll see how they do it. So will other allies go ahead, though, in the short term and boycott Russian oil and gas? And what will the impact be? And in the long run, how can Canada help Europe break its Russian energy habit? Well, joining me now is Werner Antweiler. He's an economics professor at the Souter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Welcome to the show. Hello, Ben. Tell me a bit about what the impact, I, I know we're, there is discussion from both the US and the EU about a bar or at least a ban on imports of Russian oil and gas. What kind of impact would that have on top of the sanctions we've already seen? Yeah, so this is actually uh, adding to the uh, uncertainty that we have seen in international energy markets because uh, Russia is a major oil producer. According to the International Energy Agency, they come for roughly 10% of world output. Uh, some of this they sell to China, and that is continuing to be sold. But uh, the oil that is going to Western countries is increasingly subject to sanctions. And even uh, some buyers have just stopped buying Russian oil because they worry about being able to deliver it to markets. So now we see uh, movement coming out of the European Union and the United States to introduce final bans, similar to what we already have here in Canada, where we have, in fact, stopped buying uh, Russian oil. Uh, but of course, the impact from the EU and the uh, US will be significantly larger because the EU is, in fact, the, the major importer of Russian oil. And uh, that means um, uh, if the supply is missing, uh, it will uh, continue to uh, drive up prices as uh, um, uh, supply from other sources is not ramping up uh, quickly enough to displace it. That all, I mean, already we're seeing huge increases in the price of gasoline, huge increases in the price of, of oil itself. How far could this go? Yeah, so we have seen prices languishing about 50 to $60 last year, and then they were shooting up uh, in the last months to, to $90. And then in just the recent days, uh, from 90 uh, to over $120 uh, a barrel. So where is the, the end of this is hard to say because uh, uh, the market is still trying to find its equilibrium uh, because uh, as uh, the, the price is shooting up, it will see some reaction on the demand side. And as it's getting more expensive to drive vehicles, are we going to see a lot of economizing as well? And so that will ease some of the pressure on the demand side. Whereas uh, with high prices, there's a very strong incentive for producers all the way from Saudi Arabia to the United Arab Emirates, but also here in the Western world, uh, in the United States and Canada, uh, we'll see uh, a, a drive towards increasing 
uh, production and in, increasing the utilization of the existing capacity to be more precise. And uh, that will actually take weeks to months to, actually to come online because it is not easy to ramp up production that quickly. And therefore, uh, we can expect to see prices to remain quite high in the next weeks before they will start to coming down again later in the year. Uh, I look uh, into the future markets for oil, uh, where oil is traded um, like three months, six months, or even a year into the future. And I see that uh, the uh, discount of uh, oil for delivery uh, even a year from now is significantly lower from where we are today. So that gives me some reassurance that um, we see the market finding a new level uh, once we go through this initial phase of uh, uh, significant uncertainty and, and price volatility. When you look at who could make up for that for that demand, who could fill that gap if, if in fact Russia is, is cut out by both the EU and the US, a lot has been made of late about Canada helping to fill that demand. Is that feasible? Not really. Uh, there are some oil producers that can ramp up uh, pr- production capacity quite quickly, namely Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, because they're producing a type of light crude where um, they just basically can bring more capacity back online uh, if there is more demand. Uh, however, uh, when you're looking at production of uh, heavy crudes, uh, this is a much more labor intensive process and it's also constrained by the capacity of uh, upgraders. And so uh, even though uh, it is possible to increase production and uh, uh, utilization of the existing capacity, it takes more time because there's more logistics involved, like they're also rehiring more labor. And uh, again, that doesn't happen overnight, but it takes weeks and months to actually put into place. We will see some increase uh, of production in North America, but it will take longer than uh, any uh, quick production uh, that can be brought online, especially in the Middle East. Do you think there will be, in fact, a successful push now to, re- to reconsider some of the decisions that have been made of late, whether it be a Joe Biden's decision, President Biden's decision about Keystone XL, whether it be uh, ongoing fights over the uh, over over the Trans Mountain pipeline, do you think there'll be any reconsideration of those of those um, decisions given this sudden need for to try and keep Russia out? I actually don't think so. There are short term issues and there are long term issues. The long term issues still persist, and they are related to climate change. They're also related to the existing uh, pipeline infrastructure that had local opposition, and that's not going to go away. That actually is going to go all the way through the courts uh, where it is uh, being challenged. Uh, but uh, I don't see this as a quick-term solution. The, the quick-term uh, solution really lies with the oil producers that can ramp up production uh, significantly in a short time, and that's mostly in the Middle East. So when we're looking at um, the infrastructure here in North America, uh, there is very little appetite for new investment. I, I honestly don't see the appetite from oil producers to invest in more new capacity. Um, for that, the prices would have to remain high for a very long time. Uh, I, I don't see that when I look at the prices for the futures markets. I see that the market is uh, looking towards uh, uh, these high levels to come down later in the year. And um, that means uh, bringing in new capacity in North America wouldn't be all that profitable. So I think uh, uh, what we will see instead is um, um, looking all around the world where there is uh, existing capacity that is not fully utilized. And that can come from places also like Iran. Um, Iran is currently in negotiations with the United States, but also, unfortunately, Russia, uh, to reach a new nuclear deal. Um, But if sanctions against Iran uh, were lifted, we could see capacity from Iran coming online. There's yet even some discussion uh, to perhaps bring back uh, uh, some of the capacity from Venezuela, which has been uh, also 
uh, sanctioned uh, because of the politics uh, in that country. So where the supply can come from in the short term is quite limited. In the medium term, we'll see more production here in North America within the existing overall capacity. So we're talking just more utilization. And in the long term, I actually don't see a whole lot of new capacity coming online because we're transitioning away from fossil fuels. So in other words, the, the big argument over ethical oil, for instance, which we hear a lot of, if you're talking about bringing in capacity from Iran and Venezuela, hardly regimes that people necessarily yep. want to be doing business with. Uh, but but to understand the way the oil business works, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, look to ethics first. In other words, it does look to capacity and, and long-term and short-term sales. It also looks at how much capacity we're actually talking about and how expensive it is to bring it to market. Uh, so uh, right now we're, we're looking at um, a very volatile short-term situation, and uh, that basically looks at existing suppliers. Uh, anything that we're talking about in terms of Alberta would be a long-term investment. It wouldn't come online for another five to ten years. And, uh, and so by that time, we hopefully have found ways to actually move more away from fossil fuels uh, and in, in increasingly move towards the electrification of mobility, which means we need uh, resources from renewable energy to generate more electricity and not more gasoline and uh, diesel production. In the short term, though, I imagine we are going to see a continued increase in prices at the pump, though, because I, I understand that even the sanctions in place now against Russia haven't even worked their way through the system when it comes to energy. Well, actually, prices are very quick to adjust even at the pump. Um, so the inventory actually is uh, clearing uh, sufficiently rapidly that the uh, um, the price setters for the retail price are actually reflecting what they will pay for the next round of oil they're going to buy. So what we're seeing at the pump is a really quick pass-through from crude oil prices in international markets to what you actually indeed pay at the pump. Uh, there's not much of a delay. Right. Although up like a rocket, down like a feather was the term I always heard when it came to gas prices in terms of- That has been the stereotype when it comes to gas prices, but actually the research uh, doesn't seem to uh, find strong evidence for that. Uh, yep. The prices do go down uh, when when the, uh, the crude price falls. And um, even though in some areas we see less competition than others, but where there is strong competition, the prices come down pretty quickly. Uh, maybe not quite so quickly when the market structure is uh, more conducive to- uh, um, uh, a few companies actually determining the prices. So here in British Columbia, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of retail competition. Uh, the market is dominated by a few players uh, simply because we are a small peripheral, peripheral market compared to, say, uh, um, Central Canada. I'm speaking with Werner Atweiler, an economics professor at the Souter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. We're talking about potential uh, barring of imports of Russian oil and gas from uh, by the U.S. and the European Union. It's not happened yet. Canada, of course, has already gone ahead with that. And the impact that might have on already uh, jumping oil prices and what that could mean for you uh, as a motorist as well. Uh, coming up after this, we're going to talk a bit about just how important sanctions against Russian oil and gas are ultimately in this ongoing war in Ukraine and where that uh, could proceed from here. There's been some very strong words from Ukraine over the past few days about the necessity for the US and the EU to move forward with these sanctions. We'll be back with that after this. I'm back with Werner Atweiler, an economics professor at the Satter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. We've been talking about the impact uh, of sanctions on Russia on overall energy markets so far, including the prices that you're now paying at the pump, uh, but also a lot of strong words politically from Ukraine, um, Mr. Antweiler, about just how important it is they see in order to, to for this war to cut off 
uh, Russia's imports or exports of oil and gas. Just how fundamental would it be uh, as a step for the EU and the US to, to bar Russian imports right now? Yeah, actually, there's a big wedge between the European Union and the United States in terms of their dependence on uh, Russian fossil fuels. And that includes uh, not just oil, but also natural gas and coal. Uh, European, uh, the European Union, and in particular Germany, have been quite reliant on uh, imports of fossil fuels from Russia. And, uh, of course, uh, they are realizing that that uh, dependence uh, has made them strategically vulnerable. Uh, there is a major shift now occurring, in particular in Germany, uh, where uh, the chancellor of the country has de decided, uh, together with uh, his parliament, uh, that um, uh, they want to move away from, from these imports and uh, in particular for natural gas, uh, rely more on the importation of liquefied natural gas from around the world, which means from many different sources. So uh, Germany is uh, moving towards diversification and um, that means uh, away from uh, dependence on, on Russia. Certainly, though, I, I'm obviously Germany is also been taking its nuclear offline. So obviously the energy, the immediate energy demands are still very high. So this would be uh, to cut off the supply of Russian energy would be would be a difficult decision, no doubt, for for countries such as Germany. Yes, and that is exactly the problem. Uh, the, the degree of dependence varies dramatically. Uh, North America is exposed very little to Russian oil and gas, uh, but Europe is very strongly uh, so uh, as uh, Europe is pivoting away from Russia, it means they have to find uh, supplies of natural gas and oil from other sources. And that is exactly what's driving up prices everywhere else in the world as this reshuffling is taking place. Uh, it's the demand, the global demand that determines all prices. Um, and um, for natural gas, it's, uh, of course, also the issue about how to actually get it to market, because there are only two ways of delivering natural gas, either through a pipeline, as is the case uh, that uh, mostly comes from Russia in this case, uh, for Europe or uh, through um, liquefaction, that means uh, bringing it all around uh, from, uh, from Qatar and from Australia, as well as increasingly from North America. Um, and uh, that gas actually can start to displace uh, these Russian sources. But uh, at this point, Europe simply doesn't have the import capacity to fully displace Russian gas. Can China take up a lot of the slack for Russia or not really? Uh, sorry, China? Yes, can, China, can Chinese imports of Russian energy make up for any of the gap that we may see, or can China get around these sanctions? In other words, yes. by by selling to China more to China. Yes, indeed, uh, China is currently the one major country that continues to buy uh, Russian uh, natural gas and, and oil, and um, so China has not indicated a change in their direction in terms of uh, importing it. Of course, uh, with prices being as high. Um, they, they will actually pay a lot more for the same amount than even in past months. And that means uh, they're actually starting to subsidize Russia. And in fact, they're subsidizing their war effort. When you look at energy security in Europe, uh, is there room, and this has been talked about again, to go back to the Canadian example, what role can Canada play in helping Europe wean itself off this dependence on Russia? Now, the quick answer is uh, LNG, uh, because uh, any amount of LNG that's coming online uh, will help uh, lower the dependence of European countries from, uh, from Russian gas. And LNG has the advantage that it can be transported anywhere, uh, even though uh, any natural gas from BC would always go to Asia simply because of transportation logistics, but it would free up capacity from, say, the United States uh, to make its way uh, to Europe. 
So what we'll probably see is uh, a reorientation in global energy markets that uh, uh, will certainly play a major role in natural gas uh, to uh, some degree also in, uh, in oil, um, uh, whereas um, uh, coal, um, we'll see um, uh, probably a, a shift to places like Australia and South Africa that have, have also been very dominant in uh, uh, supplying markets in Europe. So that said, um, uh, it's, a, it's a strategic reorientation of global energy market that we're really seeing playing out in the next uh, weeks and months and uh, even years. Werner Atweiler, Professor of Economics at the Souter School of Business at the University of British Columbia with some interesting insight there. So clearly he feels that where Canada can excel in helping Europe wean itself off Russian energy is really an LNG. Uh, and he's got a good point there. He feels that anything else, especially pipelines and so forth, might not be uh, the right answer for Europe. We'll certainly be following that subject. It's one that everyone is talking about these days. Lots of different opinions, obviously, on that one.